When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For all of you at the watch party last night, you know what this episode meant to all of us. For me, this was the most amazing thing since Revenge of the Sith. Not to get emotional because I feel like we all did enough of that last night, I'm just gonna say I feel like a little kid again. We have a ton to talk about today, so let's get right into the breakdown, because this is probably the longest one. The Slave One took out the Lambda-class T4 shuttle that Dr. Pershing was on. Boba intercepts the ship in space, pulls him over, and orders a boarding party. Din and Kara board the Imperial shuttle. Now, this shuttle was for very important people of the Empire. Palpatine and Vader rode in this ship. The pilot holds Dr. Pershing hostage as a means of leveraging Din and Kara. He starts to taunt her with the memory of her home world, and Leia's home world as well, Alderaan, and how he watched it blow to pieces, this terrorist planet he calls it, on the Death Star. This shows that Kara has a story of her own and that she lost someone close to her on that planet. It also tells us that he got out of there before the Death Star blew up. She shoots the pilot point blank, saving Dr. Pershing, and we move on to the next scene. Pershing is also revealed to be a clone scientist, but that's not a surprise here. We already knew that for over a year by his badge and by what he's doing. They head to find Bo-Katan and Koska Reeves. As they land, we can see Bo-Katan's ship from the Clone Wars, the Gauntlet, now in live action, which is the first time we get to see this. It's really cool. They approach Bo and Koska, where they ask for help, and an altercation breaks out when Boba says, let's go, we don't need them. This is when things get heated, and I'm going to explain everything historically as to why this happens, why there's a feud between them. And you've probably heard me in many other videos explain the history, but if you haven't, I'll explain it very briefly. Bo says you're not a Mando after hearing his voice, which probably tipped her off if it wasn't his armor and sigil already. Bo says you're a disgrace to that armor, and Boba says it's his father's. She says, don't you mean your donor? Things get even more heated. Now, Jango had an unaltered clone created, for those of you who haven't seen the prequels. Unaltered in the sense that it had no accelerated aging like the other clone troopers did. Jango took Boba under his wing as his son, that is, until he died at the hands of Jedi Master Mace Windu at the Battle of Genosis. Jango's armor is from his dad. His dad was once the true ruler of Mandalore, far before Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan, during the Clone Wars, was with Pre Vizsla of Death Watch. Death Watch was the faction that saved Din. Death Watch was also the faction that killed Boba's dad's mentor, Jaster Muriel. Boba's dad, Jango Fett, or in other words, the donor, avenged Jaster by killing Tor Vizsla, who was part of Death Watch. Muriel was the leader of the Mandalorians, and when the Mandalorian Civil War broke out with Tor and Jaster, Tor killing him, it all ended when Jango brought peace by avenging Muriel's death. Boba is the son of the true Mandalorian, Jango, and decades later, Bo-Katan, seen to Boba as the princess of Mandalore, sees Boba as a disgrace because he's a clone, sort of putting down his entire authority to even wear that Mandalorian armor. 
calling his dad his donor, which starts a fistfight between him and Reeves. They fight and it gets broken up as they come to an agreement. Oh, by the way, during the little scuffle, this scene reminded me of this scene here from episode 2. They settle to help save the kid, and Bo-Katan gets to challenge Gideon in trial by combat for the Darksaber. It's a win-win. Now the Darksaber is like a key to the city. It means you rule Mandalore. Think Game of Thrones, but you take the Mandalorian throne, so to speak, when you have the Darksaber. We learn that the entire Empire has exiled Mandalorians from Mandalore, from their own home world, for far too long. The Darksaber belongs in a Mandalorian's hands, and with the Darksaber in Bo's hands, it'll be back where it belongs, and Mandalore might return to its people. They agree and plot their attack on Gideon's ship. Dr. Pershing is still held captive, and he assists them in all the intel they need. Why is he helping them? I don't really know, but I imagine he's not emotionally loyal to the Empire. He's just doing what he's being forced to do. I don't think he's necessarily evil, he's kind of just a pawn with his hand forced, like Galen Erso was in Rogue One, who built the Death Star. They learn that the Dark Troopers are going to be a problem, but the Dark Troopers take two minutes to charge up. So they think there's a window. They jump into what Boba calls jump space, which I love, and I'm going to use that from now on. They throw on a little fake show for Gideon as the Lambda shuttle is being shot at by Boba's Slave 1. Now Boba is just playing around to make it seem like they need to land immediately. Gideon releases the TIE fighters who go after Boba. Once Bo-Katan crash lands inside the light cruiser, Boba takes out the TIEs super easily with his cannons inverted and blasts off into hyperspace, or jump space, to his end credit scene that I'm going to explain after everything here. The girls land and they show the Empire who's boss. This quad team is epic, I loved it. Gideon activates the Dark Troopers, and if you look super closely, you can actually see Skrillex spinning in the background. This scene was awesome. I mean, it reminded me of the boys season 2 motto, girls get it done. I'd love to see an entire series of these four doing their thing. Mando goes through the halls, making his way to the Dark Troopers, as the girls just take Imperials out like it's absolutely nothing. Their dynamic is seamless and integrated so well, each a master of their own trade. The Dark Trooper fall into position as Mando just arrives, where he closes the door on them as one holds it open, Terminator 2 style, and opens it back up. They're impervious to blasts or attacks and fire as we see. We also see just how strong Beskar is. It makes me wonder if Adamantium can break through it. I know, we're crossing worlds and universes, but hey, makes me think. The helmet was literally bending the metal of the wall and protecting Mando's head. He's in deep trouble, until he finally gets his Beskar spear and stabs it through the head of the Dark Trooper, beheading it. Running over, he opens the chute and all the troopers fly out into the vacuum of space. For now. The girls take the bridge and kill everyone inside easily. They're an absolute unit. Mando arrives at Grogu's cell, where Dr. Pershing told him he's being held. He opens it, and we see Gideon holding Grogu hostage at Darksaber Point. They barter and Moff Gideon lets Din take Grogu under the pretense that Gideon keeps the Darksaber. Din doesn't care about it. He doesn't give a damn about ruling Mandalore. He just wants the kid. Gideon says, okay, and he agrees. He tells them that he's already got what he wants from the child. Now if you missed this, we gotta pay attention to it. He tells him that he already got what he wants from the child. Gideon wanted to study its blood, and he's done that. That tells me that Grogu's blood will be used for bringing Sidious back, or actually, Snoke. As Din goes to grab Grogu, Gideon blindsides him with the Darksaber. This tells me he needs to catch Mando off guard to beat him, and he knows it, meaning Mando is a better fighter than he is, and he admits that. 
They fight, Mando's Beskar holds up to the Darksaber's attacks, and it's a beautiful thing to see. He pulls out the Beskar spear against the Darksaber, and we can see as the Darksaber is held against the spear, it doesn't cut through it, but it does start to glow, and it makes you wonder if it was held there for a little bit longer, could it melt? My answer is yes, Beskar wasn't fully impervious to lightsabers, but it was for a certain amount of time under contact, not indefinitely. He beats Gideon in trial by combat, disarming him, cuffs him, and takes him to the bridge. And Bo-Katan looks pretty surprised and furious to see Din with the Darksaber. She knows that now she must fight Din to win the Darksaber honorably to defeat him in a trial by combat, in order to rule Mandalore again. Gideon laughs maniacally as he knows that now things are getting interesting. He informs everyone of the rules of Mandalore, that to rule you must defeat anyone who owns the Darksaber before you in a trial by combat. Since Din beat Gideon and Gideon beat Bo-Katan, we assume then Din is the rightful ruler of Mandalore. Think of the Darksaber like Thor's hammer. Whoever should wield this hammer shall possess the power of Thor. Only the power of Thor in this scenario is an entire planet called Mandalore, home of the Mandalorians. As they decide what happens next, if Bo will fight him or not, the Dark Troopers all enter the light cruiser from space. An entire platoon of them, Gideon scoffs. He's one. Mando could barely take one out, let alone an entire platoon. Now a platoon is around 40 to 50 units, and with their phase 3 armor resistant to blast or fire, it would be impossible to defeat them. Everyone in that room would die and lose, except for Gideon and the child who the Dark Troopers have been programmed to keep alive. Their lives are coming to a short end as the Dark Troopers bash their way through the doors, when all of a sudden, an X-Wing flies by and Kara makes fun. One X-Wing, great, we're saved. Well, it's not just an X-Wing. It's the son of Anakin Skywalker, Luke Skywalker. This scene meant the world to me. Over 35,000 of you attended the watch party last night, and we all shared a moment together as Star Wars fans that I will never forget. We got into the details of emotions last night, so I will just say it was very beautiful to see. Luke Skywalker arrives and makes the Dark Troopers look like absolutely nothing. He wasn't even moving fast, or even looked like he was really trying. It was easy work for a Jedi Knight like him, or at this point, should I say Jedi Master ready to rebuild his roster of students. Also, how Moff Gideon tries to kill himself once he realizes that Luke Skywalker has arrived. This is the amount of legendary fear that Luke has struck into the Empire. They all know what he did. He is a legend, a myth, and a nightmare. We see a cloaked figure walk through the halls. His movements and lightsaber form very much like Luke Skywalker from Episode 6, albeit a little bit improved. Luke used a variation of different lightsaber forms with the different teachers that he had, mainly Form 4 Ataru which he learned from Master Yoda. However, when he used his emotions to fight his father on the second Death Star in Return of the Jedi, he was using more Form 5, Diem So, which was Anakin's lightsaber form. He also learned a bit of Form 3, Sorsu, from Obi-Wan Kenobi in Episode 4. This helps with blocking blaster bolts. Form 4, Yoda's is more so for acrobatics a little bit. For example, in episode 5 when Luke jumped out of the carbonite freezing chamber, this could be an example of that. Or you can just say it's force jump. And form 5 is known more for being on the offense, being a little more aggressive, which is very Anakin. Now there's a scene here where Luke uses the same move as Anakin against the B1 battle droid on Mustafar. 
with the blaster bolt behind the back, deflecting it. Luke comes to the hallway, which was a lot like his father against the rebels in Rogue One. Grogu just watches the screen, amused. Luke Skywalker dances with his emerald blade, blocking bolts and slicing through the troopers. He uses force pull, force push, force freeze, topped off with force crush. Now, this is huge, because force crush was a force power that was a big no-no for Jedi. However, there was a gray area when using it on droids, or any non-living being. Mace Windu and Anakin Skywalker both used this in the original 2D Clone Wars back in 2003, I believe it was. Mace uses it on Grievous, which is why he always coughs, and Anakin uses it on Nelvan against the scientist Techno Union guy. So Luke using this on a droid, it's not really too bad, but also, he's really the only one controlling the Jedi at this point. He's the one to carry on the mantle and teach his way of being a Jedi, which is the better way. At least it is in Legends. The droids and danger have been eliminated by Luke Skywalker. Din opens the door and Luke Skywalker steps through the green lit fog with his lightsaber. Are you a Jedi? Yes, he says. As a de-aged Mark Hamill, just like I wished would happen, stands there before us. Removing his hood, he reaches out to Grogu and summons the child. Grogu asks permission from Din, and we get a beautiful poetic scene of Din holding the kid and removing his helmet. This echoes Vader removing his helmet to see his son, Luke, help me take this mask off. As Din stares at the closest thing to his son that he has, and tells Grogu to go and to not be afraid. Grogu is placed on the floor as he hugs Din's foot, and he finally waddles over to R2-D2, who shakes with excitement, recognizing Grogu from Yoda's species, but also a theory that he knows Grogu from the Jedi Temple during the prequels. As we know, Grogu was trained as a Jedi at the temple for so many years by many masters. He must have known Anakin, or at least known of him, as they are the same age. Luke grabs Grogu, takes a good look at him, and bids his farewell to everyone. May the Force be with you, as Din cries watching them leave. The doors close from afar as R2 stands next to Luke Skywalker, holding Grogu. End of season. That is until the end credit scene. Tatooine, the twin sons, Jabba's palace. Fennec Shand comes down the stairs killing Gamorrean guards as she is followed close by by Boba. Bib Fortuna sits atop Jabba's throne. Now, Bib Fortuna was Jabba's top secretary guy and right hand man. We see him in Return of the Jedi, and I thought he died, but I guess Boba isn't the only one to return from the dead. He tells Boba how he had heard rumors of his return, doing that fake laugh. Boba shoots him dead, and he walks up to throw his dead corpse off, taking his rightful place on the throne as the king of the underworld. Jabba was the law of the underworld, of scum and villainy. Boba now takes that mantle. He and Fennec will now control the galaxy's underworld at their fingertips. The Book of Boba, coming December 2021, is a really big question for me. Will this be a new show all on its own? Will it have chapters for episodes like The Mandalorian? Or will this be what the new Mandalorian will be about? Now maybe it's about the Book of Boba in Season 3. The first two seasons were about Din and the Child. 
and maybe now we'll follow Boba being the king of the underworld. I'm very inclined to believe that it's two separate shows running around the same time because we're going to get season three of The Mandalorian coming out December 2021 as well. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see for confirmation by Lucasfilm. Well, and with that, Star Wars has never been more alive. This episode meant so much to me and so many of you. Seeing Luke return the way that he did, I can only imagine where it's going to lead us. I think we'll see Grogu train with Luke and become a very powerful Jedi, and he'll eventually reunite Grogu with his species, well, before Kylo destroys Luke's temple. I know a lot of people were asking if Kylo kills Grogu, and I just can't see that happening. I think Grogu gets out of there way before that. We've got about 15 to 20 years before that even happens, so there's time. I think the blood of Grogu is helping to make Snoke and other possible force-modified beings. We'll have to see what happens. I just want to thank Lucasfilm, Dave Filoni, John Favreau, Peyton Reed who directed this episode in particular, and everyone behind this amazing show for making me feel like a little boy again. I'm very excited to see the future of Star Wars and where it goes from here. And most of all, I can't wait to share it all with you guys together. Thanks for watching this breakdown and for joining the watch party. I'll see you in the many new theories for everything about to happen in Star Wars in the next episode of Star Wars Theory. Until then, my fellow Jedi and Sith friends, remember, the Force will be with you always.